Oh yeah. Hello friends, Lee Roddy here. Welcome to a kind of an unusual edition of Sounds Like Radio. Because it's unusual because tonight we're not going to be listening to my usual great round of music and the great Gildersleeve. Tonight I got something a little unusual for you, something I hope you'll enjoy. You know, I did a lot of taping back in my day. Uh, in the 1970s, uh, late 60s, I got a, a uh, portable tape recorder. Started off with a portable reel-to-reel tape recorder. Then I moved on in my sophistication, actually when it was invented, to cassette, a portable cassette recorder. So back in them days, I was recording a whole lot of great shows that I liked. And Gene Shepard, a fantastic broadcaster, who many of you will know from the movie A Christmas Story. It is Gene Shepard who wrote that, and it is Gene Shepard who you hear narrating that movie. Well, Gene Shepard did a radio show from the 1950s all the way up into the 1970s. I believe 1977 was the last year Gene Shepard did his show. I discovered Gene Shepard when my dad and I were driving in his car, and he tuned in and heard over WOR Live as it was being broadcast uh, a very faint signal, uh, but then other nights this very faint signal came in very strong. So it all depended on which night you tuned in to hear WORAM. At any rate, this is when I first heard Gene Shepard, listening to Gene Shepard over the WOR, sort of a weak radio signal in the car as my dad was driving. He used to call him the man who talks a lot, and I didn't even know what his real name was for quite a while. Anyway, once I discovered, all right, here, that's who he is. He's Gene Shepard, and there he was. Now I found him on the radio being broadcast on our local PBS, or I guess you could call them back then, the Educational Radio Channel. It was broadcast, and they would play the FM versions of Gene Shepard's radio show that he did live. They had it taped, and they cut out the commercials for these um, FM broadcasts. So you were hearing the great show, except you didn't hear all those commercials, and the sound was beautiful. And that's what I've got for you right now. From November 4th, 1974, I recorded this show off of a radio station here. It's all about Gene Shepard as a kid finding a cut-off finger at the dentist, Dr. Schlicker's office. Or was he a dentist? Uh, uh, I, I'm not sure if I remember it right. I know he was a doctor, and I remember his name was Dr. Schlicker. I can tell you that much. He finds a cut-off finger in the back of Dr. Schlicker's office. And it's very scary what Gene does. And it's also very funny. Let's listen now to the November 4th, 1974 recording I made of Gene Shepard's radio show all about the cut-off finger. Enjoy, friends. Uh, there was a young man from Azizus whose were two different sizes. And, uh... <laughs> oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute now. You just got an evil mind. I mean, I, now that was a perfectly innocent little limerick that I was, uh, I was uh, about to tell you. Gee, uh, what a terrible. I'm telling you, people are getting rottener by the minute. Absolutely disgusting. <laughs> However, if you wish to have the actual 
an expurgated text of that, that limerick. You said your name and address to, uh, oh, wowie, take care of this station. Uh, that's, uh, oh, wowie, take care of this station. You must be over 21 and a qualified social studies student. telling you, I never get this hum here tonight. Stop it. I said stop it, machine. Boom. That takes care of it. Damn thing reaches out and grabs my knee every time I go on the air. Uh, due to unparalleled uh, public demand, due to a tremendous outpouring of public accolade, we are going to do this once again. One, two, three, four. For the bear, Mr. Train. The bear, Mr. Train. For the bear, Mr. Train. And now he's walking all together, gang. The bear, Mr. Train. The bear, Mr. Train. Oh, the bear, Mr. Train. And now he's walking. Oh, the bear, Mr. Train. The bear, Mr. Train. And now he's walking. He's walking, walking far. He's walking, walking here. so exciting, isn't it, gang? Yes, sir. Uh, my friends, it's pretty sick. Well, actually, uh, no, 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 my life has been uh, that way, just one way or the other. It's just always been a little bit uh, out of step. I'm just, just sorry. A bear missed a train, a bear missed a train. I think I know when it started, too. Yeah, I, I think I, I know exactly when it started, when that terrible slip from, uh, let's say, respectability happened. Most people's lives are spent, you know, fairly respectable. Oh, yeah, 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 they, they live a straight-line existence, you know, and the, when the time to come, you know, the, when you buy suits and you wear a suit, they go out and buy a suit and wear a suit, right? And uh, when the, it's 12 noon, it's time to go out to go to lunch, they go out and go to lunch. Well, what about the rest of us? I mean, you know, you know, I have not been to bed before 5 o'clock in the morning since I was 10. All right, and you can see right away that uh, this is disrespectful to all the conventions of our time. And it's not that I'm trying to do this. It's just the way I am, you know. And I'll tell you how it started. 
Well, I, I, I can almost imagine fairly cleanly the day that it happened. I was fairly respectable up to the age of eight. Oh, yeah, when the, when the, uh, when the uh, frosty sickle man come past, you know, I would go out like all the rest and buy a fudge sickle, you know. The guy rings the bell out there. I did it just like all the other kids. When uh, it was time to have uh, milk and uh, graham crackers in uh, first grade, you know how they give you milk and graham crackers in kindergarten? I drank milk and ate graham crackers. I mean, you know, I didn't bring any, uh, you know, any El Cheapo wine that I carried in there in my lunchbox. You know? <laughs> no, I was very, uh, almost embarrassingly square. I mean, when I think about it, when everybody played volleyball, what do you think I played? Right, volleyball, just like all the other squares, you know? You know, just uh, terrible. Well, then all of a sudden, at the age of about eight, it began to change, and it changed somewhat drastically at that moment. And I say these are, these are the years, about eight and nine, when you begin to separate into the sheep and the goats. You separated the Republicans and Democrats and the others, <laughs> which are neither Republican. I've never been a Republican nor a Democrat. I can't figure out what the hell I am, you know? And uh, I find myself laughing at both candidates most of the time. But, uh, you know, this is another sickness. You have to learn to believe in one or the other. I wish I could wear a button. I've never been able to wear seriously a button. The last button I wore that, uh, you know, I wore, actually wore as a button wearer. I think I was about seven or eight, and uh, Miss Shields said that we're going to have a collection today, boys and girls, this afternoon for the Red Cross. And uh, we'd like to have all of you bring whatever you can afford, maybe a penny, maybe a nickel or a dime, and uh, we'll put it in this can here, this one mark Red Cross on my desk, and then uh, when the poor little flood victims... Uh, we'll all be thankful that you have helped them. Well, I trotted home, and uh, I got my dime, and I came back, and I put my dime in a can, and Miss Shields said, and now to all of you who have contributed to the Red Cross, here is your Red Cross button. And I had this little white button. And you remember those buttons? little white button with a little Red Cross on it. And I pinned it on the thing there. You know, I had this shirt, and uh, it was, uh, was my favorite shirt, actually. It was a... Uh, it was a, a lumberjack shirt. I was going through the, you know, the lumberjack blue jean phase. You know, that I had this red and black checkered lumberjack shirt. Well, I pinned it on me. And uh, 20 minutes later, we had this recess, and me and Farkas were wrestling. And I want to tell you, I got such a stick from that Red Cross badge. I mean, it really got a, you know, a terrible. Well, from that time on, I've been very, very leery about pinning buttons on me. They tend to, you know, come back at you. Well, that was the last time I wore a button. Now, I don't know why I'm telling you all this, except to say, I'm going to give you a warning right at this point. I want you to listen. This is a warning. That the, the following sequence on this, uh, this nightly struggle was liable to prove to be exceedingly distasteful to many of you. And I just want to let you know that the I believe that you might as well be honest about it and lay it out, right? Well, at the age of eight, I was almost nine, as a matter of fact, I'm laying on my duff one day, and I'm reading this uh, magazine. Well, you know, I didn't actually read a magazine at the age of eight. I was looking at all the stuff in it, you know. And there is, in the back of the magazine, there is an ad. It only cost a dime. Well, now, at that time, my personal fortune since uh, I'd hit it big in several uh, deals that I'd been involved in, 
was well over 27, 28 cents. So I was doing pretty good, you know, and, and it said for one dime I could receive a tremendous practical joke, which would prove to be highly amusing to all my friends and shocking to my enemies, of which I had many. I mean, you, know, you especially like to shock your enemies, right? Well, I hadn't thought about this thing for a long time. See, this, I, I, I sent the dime in, and two weeks later it came back, that this trick, and I'll tell you, it was far more effective than I ever thought it could conceivably be. It really worked. It really, really worked. You know, like the guy with the cap snaffler on television. It really, really worked. <laughs> and uh, I wonder if any of you have ever, once you've tried this, you discover something evil about yourself, and I suspect that's why that some, you know, some guys are believers, other guys aren't. And if you discover something evil about yourself early in your life, you can never be a believer. It's the evil that creeps like uh, tiny mice through the dark closets of your mind. Little scrabbling, sneaky mice with chittering jaws and beady red eyes. <laughs> well, this trick, I, I had disappeared into my mind forever. I did not... I used it to fantastic effect for about three months until one day it was confiscated by Miss Norton, who was uh, the head of the uh, Gestapo in the Warren G. Harding School, and I never saw it again. And you know how you are, you know. Think of all the things that you owned at one time, which you have completely forgotten that you actually owned this thing, and at one time it was very important to you. And yet it's disappeared into the great limbo of forgotten stuff. And you imagine, you know, can you imagine yourself now standing on an imaginary landscape? Nothing but sand all around you. It's an imaginary landscape, a Salvador Dali landscape. Endless horizon. And there you are, standing at the now, right this minute, this day, this minute. See, it's an endless horizon of time. Not geography, but time. And behind you is this trail behind you that extends all the way back to the horizon from whence you have come. And this trail is composed of nothing but all the stuff that you personally owned up to this point. Wouldn't you like to, to walk along that pile of crud and look at all these things that you've owned? I mean, can you imagine walking along and say, I'll be damned, look. When did I own a rubber dagger? Say, oh, yeah. The rubber dagger, yeah. Cry it out loud. What's that thing? What? It's a little it's a little plastic mouse that you wind up. What did I own that? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course I remember that. It would be a terrible, curiously self-revelatory trip, wouldn't it? walking back until finally you get all the way back to the days when you were so little you didn't even know that you owned stuff. Like, for example, almost every kid when he's born, some relative gives to the mother of that kid a cup that he eats out of you. A cup with a little curly handle and it's got your name inscribed on it, you know? <laughs> and and uh, would you like to see that cup? I mean, your own cup that you had? Can you imagine, can you imagine Nixon's pablum cup? 
You know, there it is, you know. <laughs> or McGovern's or somebody. You, know. you never think of these official guys as owning at one time in their life a rubber dagger and or a Led Zeppelin or, you know, some great thing like that or a kite uh, shaped like uh, Popeye, uh, you know, with a, with, a <laughs> with a long tail on it. But uh, nevertheless, almost every kid at one point, I mean, when you're born, uh, there's a certain series of things that are given to you as a gift. Now, you're... You know, you're only like two weeks old, so you don't think about this. You don't say, oh, it's always what I wanted, you know. I always wanted a spoon like that that you hook on your finger. Have you seen the spoons that kind of have a curly handle on it that the kid holds on to them? They hook on his finger, you know. And, the, oh, it's always what I wanted, you know. And look, there's a, there's a bottle. Isn't that great? A nursing bottle in the shape of olive oil. It's a great bottle, you know, olive oil from the, <laughs> from the Popeye cartoons. Look, at her nose is a rubber nipple. Isn't that wonderful? That's just what I wanted, you know. Good. Well, uh, I, I, uh, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, I, I, sh I don't want to give any kids ideas. There's no way to give a kid an idea in this, in this department, but uh, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be a bad influence here, but uh, let's face it, let's face it, let's face it, I am not a good influence. No, no, I admit it, and it's not going to do you any good to write and tell me I'm not a good influence. I've known this from the time I was about eight. In fact, uh, I, practically hardly a day goes by, but what I don't get at least ten letters is, hey, Mr. Shepard, don't you realize that young people listen to you and you could be such a good influence on them. You could tell them about how they should cut their hair short and they should stop thinking about sex and drugs and they should just read good, wholesome, really readable material. Why don't you suggest that they read tonight? Treasure Island or the Bobsy Twins signed a very disappointed John Gambling listener. Please, Mr. Shepard, please, or we will take action. I kind of, yeah, I don't know what to say, madam. I, I mean, I, I don't try to be an influence one way or the other. I'm just me, you know. I'm, there it is. And if, if you want to ape Shepard, you're in trouble right for the start there because it's never done me much good. Here, it's got me down here in between Earl Dowd and Joe Franklin. And uh, being a good influence, look where it got Johnny Carson. But uh, nevertheless, <laughs> let's face it, you know, it's, it's the way life is. You cannot pick your role in life, madam. You are what you are. And I began at 8. I'll admit that I sent for that fantastic trick. You, what was it? Well, the other day, somebody sent me a magazine People have a tendency to send me old junk that they're about to throw out, so they wrap it all up and send it to Shepard. You know, I don't know why, but I got I more junk every day in the mail, you know, like used Brillo pads, wilted kohlrabi stalks, all that kind of stuff. I don't know, you know, just the way it goes. Some of it even blows up right there in the office, you know, just out of spontaneous combustion. Not that it's bombs, it's just rotten. You know, it just blows up with the gases that it produces. But nevertheless, this old magazine, see this, look at this thing, see? It's a magazine. And uh, I, I looked at the thing, and I says, my God, yes. That's when I went wrong. Do you want to read the ad that took me down the primrose path? It says, boys, we have here the latest thing in jokes. Our joke consists of a neat box. And when it is opened in the box you find a human finger resting on bloody cotton. Ah! Ah! Tell your mother 
or your girl that you had your finger cut off and then show it to them and hear them scream. <laughs> yes, uh, we uh, sprang it on our old doctor and believe me, he felt cheap when the finger moved by a dozen. Yes, every man, woman, or child will immediately want one once you show them this fantastic cut-off finger trick. I want to tell you, I sent for that trick. <laughs> the cut-off finger trick. Have you ever seen it? Well, it's a box, see? And what you do, you hold it in your hand, see? And of course, you stick your finger through the hole in the back of the box. It doesn't look like you're holding it. It's just a stick your finger through. And they have this bloody, terrible-looking cotton in it. He said, Ma, look. Uh, here's what I did. See, here's, here's what happened. See, I'm out, I'm out playing ball all the time, you know, at the age of eight. And, of course, mothers have this thing going, all mothers. But any minute now, the kid's going to get decapitated out there doing whatever it is he does. Uh, you know, riding your bike, uh, roller skating, playing football. You know, so always, now you be careful. Well, I'm out there playing, you know, playing the usual thing that I'm playing with Schwartz and Flick and Broner. See, and I got this thing. It come in the mail. And I took it out, and it had a brown envelope around it. It was all sealed up. It was from this novelty company. And I took it out, you know, and I opened it up in Schwartz and Flick, and I says, I, I first tried it on Schwartz. And he says, hey, Schwartz, look what I found back of Dr. Slicker's office. And he says, what, what? I says, come over here, Schwartz. I want to show you this. Now, don't tell anything. You know, to tell, don't tell nobody about it, Schwartz. But I was walking back. The, see, we had, this, we had this pool room, see, and a bowling alley. And above the pool room in the bowling alley, there were these dentist's office and these doctor's offices. Now, we used to go back of these... Do you, ever, do you ever go around back of a dentist's office when you were a kid and grubble in the stuff that dentists throw out and doc you'd be surprised what you find. For example, you can find some fantastic rotten teeth. <laughs> we used to find these great teeth and we used to collect them, see? Well, we always had the, we always had the myth... Yeah, I kept them in a Prince Albert can, a whole collection of, uh, you know, impacted wisdom teeth and stuff like that. It was a great hobby. I had that hobby for a while there. And uh, I, uh, oh, I, I, listen, you have no idea how many roots some teeth get. I, I, I found one tooth. It must have had about 15 roots. It looked like a whole bunch of, uh, you know, it looked like a bunch of uh, carrots topped by a rotten top. <laughs> Ooh, uh, did that awful? Well, you know, when you, when you, when you start out your life uh, collecting uh, abscessed teeth as a, as a hobby, it's hard to switch to something nice and clean lived like stamps. Uh, because stamps are kind of inorganic. They don't jump out at you. But the, when you've got a bunch of rotten teeth in, in a can, it, it's a singing hobby. But nevertheless, Schwartz and I and Flick, we used to go down once in a while back at, at Dr. Slicker's office, and it was this Dr. Abrams that had the, uh, the dentist's office. You know, we grubble them at all the junk. And you find all these little x-ray plates, too, you know? We used to hold them up to the light. Hey, look at this, Schwartz. What do you think that is? Oh, wow. You know, hold it up there. See, we, and and we, we would find discarded medical magazines and textbooks, and you'd be amazed. I mean, if you think that, the, that, the, that you get great pornography down here on 42nd Street, you ought to see what you get in some of those medical books. Fantastic, you know? You get pornography with sores. <laughs> oh, it's exciting, and it's in color, see? So we used to grub around back of this place. and I told you you wouldn't like tonight's show. I just I warned you, right? Okay, no hard feelings. You can go down there. They're playing a selection from Sound of Music down on the next station where they're doing this nice, uplifting stuff. But the, we're going to talk about life. So I'm, you know, I, I walk up to Schwartz. Now, he, he knew that you could find almost anything back of uh, Dr. Abrams' office or Dr. Slicker's office, right? 
So I walk up to Schwartz, and he's standing on second base, you know, looking dumb. And I walk up to him, hey, Schwartz, hey, Schwartz, don't tell nobody. He says, what, what? I said, Schwartz, look what I found back at Dr. Slicker's office. He said, what? I said, I got it in this box, Schwartz. He said, box, what is it? And I had this box in my hand. It was about, the, you know, three inches long, a little flat box. And he said, what is it? I says, you ain't going to tell nobody, right? He says, no, 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 I won't. I says, here, Schwartz. And I hid it so, we, you know, you, you couldn't show it to the other guys. You know, I hid it very carefully. We both turned towards the outfield. I says, Schwartz, take a look at this. And I take slowly the top of the box off. And Schwartz says, what is it? And he looked right in. And <laughs> Schwartz fell over sideways. Shepard had found a sawed-off finger back of Dr. Slicker's office. And he had it in the box. Schwartz falls flat on the ground, and he's throwing up. Ah, he's heaving all over the place. And I said, don't tell nobody. And I put the top back on. And I, I pretended like I'm sticking it in my pocket. See, what I did was just stick it in my pocket, and then you slip the box off in your pocket. Now the box is in your pocket. I said, come on, Schwartz, let's go back to playing ball. Well, Schwartz is as white as last week's oatmeal. He really looked rotten. <laughs> It was a, and, and, of course, this is the first time I ever used this trick, and I couldn't believe the fantastic success it was. It was far beyond, you know, my greatest uh, dreams of glory. Well, I take, take this boxing, and all at times, see, Schwartz is now acting real funny, so we're playing the ball game at the, after the game is over, you know, we're walking around, and the Schwartz says, hey, 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 he says, why don't you show Flick what you got in your pocket? And he's still acting kind of shaky, see, because, you know, you don't see a cut-off finger often, you know, not, not very often, you know, unless you, unless you hang around certain, <laughs> certain bad news areas. But uh, uh, he says, show, show Flick what you got in, the, got, got in that box. Flick says, what? You know, Flick was the on-top-of-it kid, you know. We have, every group of male-type kids, there's always one kid that's on top of it, you know. He's, he's the kid that knows what the four-letter words mean before you quite know. Yes, I remember, you know, that, 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 I'll never forget that time, you know, we're standing back at the garage, and uh, we got talking, you know, various uh, intellectual discussions about various things that had to do with four-letter words, and, uh, various sexual proclivities and one thing or another, and uh, Schwartz asked a question about a certain word, and Flick says, you mean you don't know what that means? And Schwartz says, no. Flick says, well, it's uh, hockey, that's what it's about, you know? Well, uh, that was, uh, was the beginning. So you see, Flick is on top of it, see? So Flick is uh, standing there, you know, kind of smart. And uh, he says, what do you got in the box? And Schwartz says, oh, boy, when you see it, Flick, you won't believe it. Flick says, what do you got? So I reach down to my pocket. Of course, as I stick my hand in the pocket, in goes the finger into the little hole in the box. See, I, I adjust. I said, wait a minute, I'll get it out. I have to handle it real careful here. I says, now, look, Flick, don't tell nobody. I found it back of Dr. Slicker's office. I found it back at Dr. Slicker's office. I don't tell him about it. I take the box out, see, and I, I, I shield it with my other hand, see, so that, uh, so that Josway can't see it and Bruner, see. Because, you know, after all, we're the big kids. He says, don't tell nobody I got this because, man, you know, it would be fantastic. All hell would break loose if anybody found it out. He says, what do you got? I says, and then Schwartz, of course, says, he's backing away. He doesn't want to look at it, and yet he wants to see it again. He says, boy, when did you see it? Flick, oh, wow, it's unbelievable. I says, all right, okay, yeah, Flick here. And I carefully take the top off, and Flick leans over. Now, Flick was the only kid among us who smoked. You know, he, he was already in that scene, see, and he had this camel hanging out of his trap, 
And I always carried a camel like that. And I picked the box up like that. And I opened it up carefully. He takes one look at it. And he goes, ah! <laughs> The first time I ever saw Flick stagger back and he swallowed the camel. You just down and go, oh, 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 Where'd you get that? I says, I got it back at Dr. Slicker's office. He said, Fantastic. I wonder whose it is. I said, Gee, I don't know. Probably, you know, he probably cut it off on a buzzsaw or something, and the doctor just bandaged it up and threw it out. Or maybe they operated on him and they took it off, but the, they threw it out. I found it in all those uh, x-ray stuff and all that in the back there. I said, don't tell anybody. And I stuck the box back in my pocket, and, you know, it was tremendous. I was the, I was really important. I mean, one, one kid's got something that all the other kids are fascinated by. He becomes really important, Right. I was really important. And, and we would walk down the street. So we're walking down the street, and every, but about every block or so, Flick would say, you know, he'd see somebody else like, a, hey, Jack, hey, Morton, Morton, come over here, Morton. And, of course, Jack Morton's across. Hey, Morton, come over here. He says, you ought to see what Shepard's got. Oh, wow. And Morton comes across the street. He says, hey, show it to him. I'd say, no, 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 I can't show this. I, I told you, Flick, for crying out loud, don't mention it to anybody. And he says, oh, come on, come on, Morton is, hey, Morton, you won't tell nobody, right? Oh, you won't believe what he's got. It's fantastic. Of course, by that time, Morton is flipping. You know, he has to see it, see. Then I say, all right, Morton, you, you promised you won't tell anybody. And, of course, all the while, Schwartz is walking with us, and he's as white as a ghost. He keeps looking at it, see, but every time he looks at it, he gets sicker again, you know, but he can't stop from looking at it. Have you ever had that experience, you know, where you see this fantastic accident, and, and uh, in spite of the fact that it makes you sick to look at it, you've got to keep looking at it? <laughs> Schwartz is white, see? Every time I'd show it, he'd run behind the bushes and heave some more, you know? So, so he says, uh, you know, Flick says, hey, Morton, you can't believe it. Now, listen, I'll tell you this, Morton. If you tell anybody about this, I'm telling you, I'm going to break your neck. See, Flick was a foot and a half taller than anybody else. He said, I'll break your neck, right? Well, I won't tell anybody. Let me see it. And so I carefully reached down into my pocket. You know, by this time, I'm really getting good at it. So I reached down in the pocket, and I, I stick the finger in. And I slowly pull it out, and I says, all right, Morton. And of course, Schwartz and Flick immediately get They always want to see it again, see? And they gather on. I says, now, look, Morton, don't tell anybody I found this back of Dr. Slicker's office, you know, over the bowling alley? You know where Dr. Abrams, the dentist, is? He says, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I found this back of Dr. Slicker's office. Don't mention it. Okay, okay. And carefully, I opened it up. Just carefully. Morton's eyes popped open like a pair of ping-pong balls, like a tromped-on toad frog. And just for one brief instant, he hung there. It was like his, his tongue is hanging out, and his eyeballs are bugging it. Ah! He needs one fantastic topples back. And Flex says, now, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. It's fantastic. We proceeded down the street, and about every block or so, I would flash it on another kid. The kids are heaving all over the place and yelling and screaming and running around. So it was a fantastic success. I have never had such a social success since. I mean, I was the unquestioned star of the crowd, and that's a good feeling. Well, something in my gut told me I better, you know, we have instincts. Let's face it, man is not only a creature of intellect, he is also a creature of instincts. Well, we have instincts, and I don't know what my instinct was that made me when I walked in the kitchen that night I didn't mention anything. <laughs> I did not whip my finger out, you know. That was all, see. So we're sitting down. Uh, we're sitting down having having supper. And uh, I'm sitting there, and, you know, it's been a great day. It's been a fantastic success this day. 
And I'm sitting there knocking down the red cabbage, you know, and the meatloaf and the, and the mashed potatoes. My kid brother's sitting over there opposite, you know, and he's, he's whining away. And, uh, yeah, our usual, you know, the usual supper tableau. The, my kid brother is looking, hey, I don't want to eat, you know. He always, I don't want to eat. The old man, now you eat. Now, come on, I'm tired of this. Now, either you're going to eat or you're not going to sit at the table. Now, you eat. <laughs> and he's reading the sport page. My mother's hanging over the sink, and she's getting ready to, to bring out some more mashed potatoes. And, you know, every, you know just a normal uh, family life. When suddenly, the phone rings in the next room. You know, we had the phone in the next room. Uh, uh. Well, uh, I didn't think anything of it. My mother goes into the next room, picks up the phone, and I hear this murmuring, you know, and I hear this, blah, 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 she's talking away. Blah, blah, blah. He did what? What? There was a brief scream in the next room, see? And I, I still didn't put it together. You know, innocent, you I thought, well, you know what? And the old man looks, he says, what's the matter? What's the matter? My kid brother, you know, he, he looks up for the first time. He stops whining for about two months, and he looks around. And my mother comes rushing in to the, to the <laughs> remember, this is something that she comes rushing in. She says, that was Mrs. Morton. And then it hit me way down deep in the gut. Mrs. Morton. Jack. Morton's mother. That was Mrs. Morton on the telephone. She told me something terrible. And the old man says, what's the matter? What's, what's, what's the trouble? She says, do you have that finger in this house? I said, what finger? You know, kids never admit to anything. It's what finger? Mrs. Morton called and told me that you found a cut-off finger back of Dr. Slicker's office, and you showed it to Jack, and now Jack won't eat, and he's home crying. I said, the finger, the cut-off what? She said, don't you lie to me. Don't you lie to me. Do you have that finger in this house? And my kid brother lit up like a Christmas tree, the idea that his brother had a cut-off finger. <laughs> he says, you got, can I see it? Can I see it? He says, Howard, can I see it? And the old man puts his paper down. He says, you have a what? What did you say he has? My mother says, Miss, Mrs. Morton just told me that our son, your son, your son, was showing to all the kids at school today a cut-off finger a cut-off finger that he found back of Dr. Slicker's office. The old man looked at me long. It was a great, curious, weird moment. He looked at me and he says, Hey, you got a cut-off finger? He says, Where is it? Can I see it? <laughs> the old man dug it. <laughs> he says, Where is it? I said, Well, gee whiz, I... I I, he says, where is it? What did you do with it? My mother says, you better tell me. I'm going to call Dr. Slicker. Well, I said, well, wait a minute. And I got up, and I walked through the dining room, and my mother is sort of following me, see, and yet she doesn't want to follow me. She says, don't you mean to tell me you hid it in your bedroom, a, a finger a, in your bedroom? And I says, yeah. It's, it's, wait, I'll bring it out. Oh, there's fantastic excitement in the house. My kid brother's jumping up and down, yelling. He wants to see it. And the, the old man, you know, he's, he's, he's torn, you know, between 
between disciplining, after all, a kid brings home a, a cut-off finger, you're supposed to do something about it. <laughs> but on the other hand, I mean, it isn't every day that you see a cut-off finger. So I go under my bed where I kept all my stuff. I had my fielder's mitt. I had, the, you know, a couple of bats and my ice skates and all the jazz. That I, I kept all the stuff packed under the bed. See? So I crawl under the bed and I reach back of my ice skates just on the other side of my pile of gloves and bats and old footballs, and I get the box. And I take it out, see, and as I take it out, I stick my finger in the little hole. I bring it out, and I got this box. I bring it out into the kitchen. And my mother says, you mean to tell me you've got a finger in that box? I say, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I found it. You know, I says, let me see it. My kid brother, wow, wow. And I very carefully opened it up in the kitchen, in the presence of the meatloaf, in the presence of the red cabbage and the mashed potatoes. I just carefully opened it up, just like I had done before with Schwartz and Flick and with Jack Morton. I opened it up. And my mother leaned forward. She has her hair up and curlers, you know. She leaned forward, took one look at that. Ah! Oh, 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 look at that. Oh, that's awful. Look at that. Oh, 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 oh. The old man says, look at that. Look at that. It's fantastic. Look at the blood in there. Wow. And my kid brother's flippant. Well, it was a dramatic moment. And I, I, I wanted to milk it even further, but it was no way, you know. My mother's rushing into it. She's going to call Dr. Slicker, get him up at home, you know, that he's, he's throwing out the fingers back of his, his, his office, and the kids are finding him. She's going to call Dr. Slicker. And, and you know, she says, I'm going to call Dr. Slicker. Oh, this is terrible. You mean he throws those fingers right out back of the, off the office? You mean those feet? There's all kinds of... And, and, and uh, I says, well, uh, and she runs into the next room. You know, she's going to call the doctor. I says, Ma, Ma, and I take the box off my finger. See, there it is. I just take it off like that, and she looked at it. I says, you mean it was a joke? I said, yeah, it was, uh, it was a joke. The old man says, that's fantastic. He says, let me borrow it. <laughs> and so that was a great hit at his office the next day. I might point out that uh, he, was, he was the star of the bowling team for at least a week after that. And uh, he says, that's great. Well, I took this box, and I carefully put it back under my bed, and I cherished that box. I, I used it once at a very spectacular Valentine party. All the kids sitting around, you know, with little Valentines and stuff, I whipped my finger on them. It was a tremendous success. And uh, for at least a month, you know, I was in the, the heady wave, the tremendous crest of social success. And then, like everything else, it slowly began to die down. Let me tell you this. If you wrote a Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, for about a week people talk about it, and then after that they'd forget. They, they just forget, you know? Well, a couple of weeks went by after my fame had, had deteriorated into nothing, and I'm again reading the same magazine. There was another joke. It says, boys, try this on your mother and your friends and neighbors. This will really excite everybody and it will be a smash success. Off goes another dime. Two days later, after the mail arrives, I get this thing, it came in a brown, a brown sealed envelope, and I whip it out, and it really worked. Tremendous. 
And about an hour later, I am out playing with Schwartz and Flick and Bruner, and this time we're playing pass tag, you know, the bit with the ball, football, keep tackling each other, running and banging each other, and I'm carefully working it on my hand, see? And sure enough, I fall heavily. I'm tackled. I get up. Oh, 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 quick. Oh, my God. Oh, 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 And the kids all gathered around, and I'm telling you, they were fainting like they were, they were shot in the head. Shepherd's magic hand-piercing nail had done its trick. Have you ever seen that one? It's a fake nail that you put on your hand, and it looks like a nail has gone right through your hand. It goes in the back of your hand and comes right out the other, complete with blood. Have you seen that one, Jerry? It's an incredible success. Fantastic success, and it looked like I had been tackled, you know, and this nail went right. Oh, oh, I'm holding my hand. Oh, 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 my God. Oh, my God. Oh, the nail. And I ran in the, I just ran into the garage. See, and there they are. They're all miller. Oh, oh, he's got a nail through his hand. Oh, God. Oh, that's terrible, terrible. And it's, oh, I can't stand the pain. And I goes running down the alley, and it leaves him behind. See, fantastic, dramatic exit. I ran down, and the guys are all looking. Shepard's got a nail right through his hand. But that night, I whipped it on him again at home. I go down, I carefully go down to the workbench. You see, my old man had a workbench, see? And he's upstairs, he's reading the paper. And uh, I says, I'm going to go down and fix my skates, Ma. She says, okay. She says, I'll make a lot of noise because I'm trying to listen to the radio. So I go downstairs and I take his hammer. He has this workbench. It's got all these planes and hammers and saws on it. And I pound. You know, I go, pop, 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 pop. Ah! 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 Oh, my God. Ah! 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 And I run up the bathroom. You know, I run up the basement stairs into the kitchen. And I got this nail right through my head. My mother packed. Uh, she just practically fainted. You know, oh, oh, my God. She falls over backwards. And my kid brother runs out. He says, oh, look, he's got a nail through his head. Well... Again, it was a fantastic success. And the next day, when I went back out to the ball diamond, I was back playing, and I had a fake bandage on my hand. You know, they pulled the nail out of me. And that was only the beginning of a whole series of spectacular successes that I, that I accomplished in that particular... And then, did I ever tell you about the bloody thumb gag? Have you ever seen that one? Yes, I, for a dime, I sent it to this place where you get this tremendous bandage that goes on your thumb. And it's just gory. There's blood all over it, see? <laughs> and what does it have? Well, it has a nail stuck right through it. You know, it looks terrible. It looks like you got a nail through your thumb. And uh, there were other various trickies that, uh, that just, just vaulted me in the very highest, the highest echelon of social success of my time. Among my peers, I was a legend. And so you see, madam, it is very difficult for me to become a good, a good influence. I would like to try to be a good influence, but too early in life, I found that it's the bad influence who gets all the good lines in life. The good influence winds up being an insurance man, going his way, smilingly, shaking hands, and he may become, if he's lucky, the second assistant treasurer of his local Rotary Club. But what about the devil? <laughs> he marches on. <laughs> oh, look, look at that. Oh. Oh, wait a minute. Listen. Did I tell you about the, the, the one that I sent that looked like you had a dagger sticking out between your shoulder blades? Did you see that one, Jerry? That you hook on your jacket that looks like somebody stuck a knife into you and the blood is running down? You should have seen the time that I ran into the house with that one sticking out between my shoulder blades. My Aunt Clara fainted and they didn't bring her to for a week and a half. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, wait a minute now. I also had, a, I had an eyeball that looked like I, my eyeball had fallen out. Have you seen that one? <laughs> yeah, you get a patch on your eye and you carry this bloody eyeball with you. Oh, my Well, there you have it, friends, from our vast library of sound. We now close the chest of all our great sound recordings. That particular one, of course, from Gene Shepard, a show I originally recorded on October 15, 1973, and then they replayed it again on November 4th of 1974. That is one of my very favorite Gene Shepard shows. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you've never heard a Gene Shepard radio show, well, I think you were just in for a treat right there. That'll do it, friends. Until next time, then, when we're back with You Never Know What. I am your host, your humble host, still here from the vast library of sound. I'm surrounded, friends. Totally surrounded. We'll see you again next time. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>